I won't subject you to my version of the story. Um, but suffice it to say uh, one thing. Ron was horrified to learn that he was, in fact, old enough to be my father. <clears throat> Greetings from Chicago Community Mennonite Church and the little group of us that gathers in East Garfield Park every Sunday morning. They are gathered right now as we speak. And as Ron mentioned, Josiah from this congregation and Celeste, who also has connection, connections to this congregation, are part of that church, and it is a joy and a delight, so I'm certain you miss them here, but thank you for sending them to Chicago. Several friends of mine sing with the Chicago Chorale, which is a 60-voice ensemble, and I have had the great pleasure of hearing some outstanding choral music in the past couple of years. And one Lenten evening last year, I had the particular pleasure of hearing them sing at the Monastery of the Holy Cross in Chicago's historic Bridgeport neighborhood. And during the concert, I could see, literally see from where I was sitting, the final notes of exquisite pieces cut off by the director. But the cavernous and almost mystical chapel, this monastery, seemed to have other ideas. The sound of a final note, a cut-off chord, would ring for another several seconds after the directorial finger pinch. And even when I'm fairly certain that the sound had actually faded from reality. The silence was so alive, the acoustic space so rich and so vibrant, I could miraculously hear the note still reverberating all around me or somewhere in the grand spaciousness above. I think that it was a little bit like this for the disciples who began to know the truth of the resurrection in their bodies. The disciples experienced this life out of supposed death. This presence in spite of seeming absence. This ringing well after the cutoff. And that reverberation of Jesus' life and presence among them was compelling and real enough for the second chapter to have been written. And that is the book of Acts. Acts stars some of these very same disciples who, after receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, go about founding the church. We heard a very small piece of that Acts story this morning and Peter's story, which is difficult to make sense of, ripped from its surrounding context. We did, in the Reader's Theater, hear a little bit more of that context, but we're going to need to hear that story again this morning. The story of Acts chapter 10 details Peter's dramatic vision 
of a slew of ritually unclean animals spread on a vast sheet being lowered from heaven. God's command to eat. Peter's disgust at the insinuation that he would eat that which was forbidden to eat and God's profound response. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Peter's whole world is suddenly topsy-turvy. The old categories, clean and unclean, sacred and profane, no longer seem to be operative by divine decree, no less. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. In this crazy experience... Peter encounters a dramatic contradiction between God's voice and God's word. God's word was clear. This food is unclean, those nasty pork chops and strips of bacon. God's voice was equally clear. What God has made Clean, you shall not call profane. This contradiction could have been debilitating. It could have been faith-shattering, or at the very least, faith-rattling. Except that Peter had already been introduced to the idea that things were about to get a little bit messier. God's capital W word, that is to say, the logos, that is, Jesus, the Christ, God's word made flesh had already begun to shake everything up for Peter and his companions. And so when faced with this new contradiction between God's scripture and God's new spirit voice, Peter could still hear Jesus reverberating in the cavernousness of his life. He did not know precisely what to do about the word-voice discrepancy, but he'd learned to know Jesus' oddities well enough to pay close attention when the Spirit repeated the same message three times. It was perplexing, yes, but captivating. Three times. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. What God has made clean, you must not call profane. Well, were this the end of the tale, we might be tempted to chalk it up to a hunger-induced delusion. You see, we know two things about Peter going up to the rooftop of Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, the site of this bizarre vision. One, we know that he went to pray, and two, we know that he was hungry. (laughs) You can't blame the guy for having visions of food then, huh? He was trying to pray while hungry. And while it's not a lethal combination by any means, I do still feel compelled to issue the warning Do not try this at home. (laughs) 
If your goal is prayer with some semblance of focus, you can be assured that hunger will display attention-seeking behaviors worthy of a trip to the principal's office. So while Peter is praying on the roof and hungry, it's not so surprising that he begins to have visions of spreads of food. At this point, when I'm writing the sermon, I hear, food, glorious food. (laughs) And like I said, if this were the end of the tale, hunger-induced delusion might work for an explanation of the vision and the voice. But it's not the end of the tale, not even close. While he's still contemplating the meaning and the impact of the, the peculiar vision, while he still hears the strange command ringing in his ears, what God has made clean you must not call profane, while Peter is still on the rooftop pondering, he hears the voice of the Spirit again. You ought to read Acts 10 if you want to follow the intricately detailed plot line. But suffice it to say for now that a synchronicity of Holy Spirit voices and messages heard by a cast full of characters willing to heed those messages leads to an unprecedented house call. Peter, accompanied by other believers from Joppa, is welcomed into the home of a Gentile. Cornelius, a Greek military commander, and yes, a Gentile. A home visit with folks of another faith doesn't sound so scandalous to our modern ears, but the significance of this breach cannot be overstated. This house call would have been strictly verboten. And yes, Peter goes. In heeding the Spirit's voice, Peter is beginning to experience and understand the untamed nature of the Holy Spirit. Oh, but it's a steep learning curve, as all best things in life are. Though he enters the home of Cornelius, he feels a need to preface. (laughs) He says, you yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. As though he wants to be sure that they know that he knows that he's violating his own religious belief, practice, and law. So he does the preface thing. But he doesn't stop there. In fact, a truly miraculous thing happens. Peter demonstrates an astonishing ability to mine the depths of the meaning and the impact of his rooftop vision. A light bulb goes on for him. It turns out that 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 sheet of animals set for slaughter is about more than just food. It turns out that the voice of God's spirit was addressing more than simply dietary laws. Turns out that the vision was about a fundamental character of God. Being revealed by the voice of a spirit one might accurately describe as mad. That is absurd and wild 
and utterly unpredictable. Peter, who's only beginning to know this startling spirit, continues with his preface, taking a turn that can only be described as spirit-led. And this is the miraculous part of the story. He goes on, But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. He takes it even further, majestically orating. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. And so after that initial rooftop vision, after a long spiritual journey to making a house call for a bunch of Gentiles, against all of Peter's expectations, and unless I'm mistaken in the text, even against some of Peter's deepest hopes, Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit in his presence. Gentiles. Again, some of the scandal is lost in translation here. You can substitute Gentile with any contemporary version of the despicable, deplorable other. And while Mennonites might be polite about those we find despicable, we'd never say it to their faces, would we? If we're honest with ourselves, we'd have to admit that we have no fewer despicable, deplorable others than our neighbors have. So Gentiles, the other, receive the Holy Spirit in Peter's presence. Peter and his companions are astounded, dumbfounded, that the Holy Spirit is being poured out even on Gentiles. While Peter and friends are astonished, there's no denying that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit has happened. The fruits of the Spirit are immediately and undeniably present in Cornelius and his fellow Gentiles. They begin to praise God, extolling, it says in our NRSV version, extolling God. You might say that this absurdly reckless spirit outpouring this way and that has testified on their behalf so that there can be no denial. Peter is beginning on that steep learning curve of his. He is beginning to get this fundamental truth about the spirit. The spirit will fall where it will. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. The Spirit will be poured out lavishly on any and every and all. Peter poses a question that he knows the Spirit has already answered. Can anyone withhold the water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have This tale is still not over for Peter, for having entered the house of a Gentile, sharing a meal with Gentiles and offering baptism to Gentiles, you might guess it. Peter is criticized by apostles all over Judea who hear the scandalous story, and I'm guessing wish by ardent denunciation to retain a sense of their own purity. 
when confronted directly and challenged to respect the good and orderly religious boundaries, Peter details the entire wild, spirit-led escapade. He goes on to remind his fellow believers of Jesus' mysterious promise that while John the baptizer baptized with water, they would baptize with the Holy Spirit. He at long last begins to find words for having experienced the reverberation of God and Christ in the form of a spirit both mad and holy. Peter concludes his public witness to his fellow apostles and naysayers with this. If then God gave them the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could hinder God? Oh, this is good. (laughs) This is the challenge of our faith's calling at its core. In some ways, it's easy. Who are humans that they, that we, could hinder God? Who are we to stand in the way of God who consistently empowers the least likely souls to play invaluable roles in the divine narrative? Folks like Sue (laughs) and me (laughs) and Ron and a whole slew of you out there. Who are we to block a Jesus who persistently shares table fellowship with the lowliest riffraff he can rustle up on the main roads and back roads and alleyways? Who are we? To hinder a spirit who recklessly pours itself out on any and every and all. Who are humans that we could hinder God? We like things in good order. (laughs) And the spirit, well, the spirit relishes in lavish and imprecise. Wild and absurd outpourings. Evidence of the Spirit keeps popping up in the most unexpected and frankly offensive places. And part of the church's task is to attempt keeping up, (laughs) keeping up with the frenetic movement of the Holy Spirit, to sharpen our vision in noticing the surprising places the Spirit keeps showing up, and then daring to join the Spirit There, with those people. (laughs) And finally, and finally, to get enough out of the way so that we don't end up blocking or withholding or otherwise interfering with the Spirit's mad project of filling and transforming all in its path. With the life of Jesus still reverberating in the cavernous and spacious lives of the disciples following his death, they set about writing the second big chapter in the gospel story, the good news story, the book of Acts. 
In that second chapter, they come to more intimately know the mad and holy spirit. Many more chapters have been written throughout time since that second chapter, thanks to those first women and men who heeded the call to go, to go and tell their stories. Thanks to those first women and men who were filled with the Spirit. Thanks to those first women and men who dared acknowledge the truth of God's Spirit being poured out recklessly on all, including the least likely candidates. Many more chapters continue to be written including a not-so-insignificant chapter called East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. This weekend, you've just written a few very exciting verses in that chapter of yours. You have much to celebrate. Pastor Ron Adams, who I will henceforth with the greatest, and I do mean greatest, admiration and respect, only referred to as the Reverend Dr. Ron Adams, brought ritual completion to a season of study and good, hard work. With his graduation from Lancaster Theological Seminary with a doctorate of ministry, that mad and holy spirit is being poured out again. Thanks be to God. Pastor Sue Conrad, Reverend Sue Conrad, brought closing to a season of preparation and discernment for ministry and experienced ritual initiation into a new season of ordained pastoral ministry that mad and Holy Spirit is being poured out yet again. Thanks be to God. Rachel and Peter H. Scott and little Daniel presented John Rubin to this church body, received the blessing of a child dedication, and heard the covenant of a community prepared to help you raise this precious child and to support you in your holy calling to do just that. That mad and holy spirit is being poured out yet again. Thanks be to God. This is my prayer for you, East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. May you recognize the lavish outpourings of a mad spirit here, in this place, in this congregation. And may you recognize the lavish outpourings of a mad spirit outside these church walls on street corners, and the least likely nooks and crannies of your lives. And may you know that spirit to be both mad and holy. And then I do believe your joy, our joy, will be made complete. May it be so. Amen.